0: All right, give your attention to
1: Savannah. If you don't, I will. Oh, cool. All right, guys. So we're continuing in the series, the mini-series of Christian dating. And today we're doing part two and three. Um, Last week we talked about um, God's commitment to you. We talked about the book of Hosea. And, um, we just talked about the gospel and God's heart for you and how Jesus, um, sacrificed everything to have relationship with you. And that is the foundation of anything that's Christian. So when we talk about dating, even we have to talk about that too. Um, so today we're going to talk about the commitment of marriage and then, so what about dating? Um. We are going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, um, in chapter five, and to give a little context, I'll try to give you context. Um, The book of Ephesians was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, and um, and he didn't write for any particular um, what's the word. Like Nothing against them, but he wanted to encourage them, and he wanted to let them know how he was doing. So he wrote about um, the unity that we have to Christ as believers and the unity that we have to each other because of that. And so he spends a lot of the book just talking about that. He goes into great detail talking about how you were dead in your sins, but now you're made alive together in Christ, and the mystery of the gospel and the oneness in Christ uh, as the church. And then he talks about this new life that we live as Christians. Um, And then he's, like, moving to the practical of it. It's all of this really deep, heavy stuff. It's really great. And then it's like, well, what does that look like practically? And he talks about marriage. So he talks about marriage. He talks about children. He talks about um, servants. And then he's like, but even more than the practical, we must put on the full armor of God because it's more than just what you see physically. It's also we're fighting a spiritual war. And then he ends the book. So We're going to look into the part where he talks about marriage, because I think it's a really great passage in Scripture that describes what marriage represents. So let's read the text. Um, Does anyone want to read it for me? Uh, Noah. What's your question, Jamie? That's fair. Most people are going to date people, and most people are going to marry someone, so it's pretty applicable to a lot of people, but that's a fair point. Not all of you are going to get married. That's okay. It's still good to know. All right, Noah, come up here, read it.
2: and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband.
1: Sweet. Okay. Um, A lot of this stuff might sound offensive to you. It sounds offensive to my flesh. Um, I don't want to submit to anyone, really. And... um, also, I'm sure you guys don't really want to sacrifice your life at any given moment. It's, um, we have to go against a lot of our fleshly desires as Christians. And so all of this is very, very countercultural. The world is going to tell you this is absolutely not what you should do. And marriage should look completely different than this, if you even should get married at all. Um, so we're going to start with the beginning. It talks about women. Um, women as the church, or the body. Um, so it's wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So it says the word submit three times in there. So obviously, something's important about the word submit for wives. So when you look up submission on Google, the first thing that comes up is this. It says, the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or the authority of another person. Yikes. Doesn't that make you kind of cringe? Yeah. Yeah. It it definitely, when I read that, I cringed. And I was like, that sounds like the last thing that I want to do. Um, But This is exactly what we see in the life of Jesus. And Jesus was in submission to the Father, right? Um, He says that he only did what God told him to do. Like anything he said was only what the Father was saying. Um, So we see that Jesus sacrificially submitted to the will of the Father. In the same way, the church sacrificially submits to God. We have to, as Christians, the church is all Christians, All of us have to die to ourselves to live for Christ, right? So we have to sacrifice all of our desires, all of our wants, every single thing in order to live with Christ. Um, And then in the same way, wives get to sacrificially submit to their husbands. And so that means we have to, as women, you have to die to yourself and you have to submit to your husband as if you were submitting to Jesus himself. Um, and that's really heavy, and that's, that's really hard to understand in the practical day-to-day, and I'm really bad at it, um, and I'm sure all wives can say the same. Um, moving on to, oh, wait, I had a quote. So Caleb and Claire, when me and Gus were engaged, made us read this book. It's really good. It's by Tim and Kathy Keller. It's about marriage. And Kathy Keller, the wife, wrote a chapter about marriage and about gender roles. And she says this about women. It says, both women and men get to play the Jesus role in marriage. Jesus in his sacrificial authority, Jesus in his sacrificial submission. By accepting our gender roles and operating within them, we are able to demonstrate to the world concepts that are so counterintuitive as to be completely unintelligible unless they are lived out by men and women in Christian marriages. Which is basically saying, like, what non-Christians do you know who are doing this? Probably none. What Christian women do you know who are doing this? Probably little. <laughs> um, but this is a standard that God calls us to, and it's for a reason. So moving on to men. It says, men as Jesus. So verse 25 through 30, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So, what the passage is saying is that husbands should be nurturers and cherishers. See, the whole women being submissive thing could be kind of scary if you're like, well, what if my husband tells me to do some crazy, sinful thing? And it's like, well, in the same way, like, there's a high call on men, too. And you have to nourish and cherish your wife the same way that you do your own body. You feed yourself every day, three times a day, probably. Um, And... It's the same thing. You have to provide and sacrifice for your wife. Um, so, sanctification comes through love. It says up there, it says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Talking about Jesus in the church. It says, so sanctification comes through love. Jesus convicts as a gentleman, and so husbands should love gently, not powerfully. Um, also, Jesus was the perfect demonstration of what we call serve, a servant leader. Um, he loved and led by serving people. Um, so the same love, oh, it comes from a place of gentleness, knowing that the way you love people is the way you love yourself. You take care of people. Husbands get to take care of their wives. And that's a high call. Because not only do you have, when you get married as a Christian man, you not only have to take care of yourself, but now you have a whole other human that you also have to take care of and make sure that they're doing good physically and spiritually. And then one day you're going to have kids, maybe, and then you're going to have to take care of them and make sure they are good physically and spiritually, and you will be um, held accountable for that. So the same love that Jesus displayed to the world by dying on the cross in the midst of our sin to save us from our sin is the love that husbands are to model to their wives. This kind of love is supposed to sacrifice and lead well. He should lead as Jesus is leading the marriage. Okay. So then it ends with just bringing it all back around. And it says, marriage pictures the gospel. So verse 31 starts saying, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, like I was saying, the whole book of Ephesians is talking about this huge mystery of the gospel and oneness to Christ and oneness to each other. And then it's like, well, here's the practical. And this is exactly how we get to put our faith into practice in the physical realm, is we get to get married to each other, and we, and the whole point of it is so that we can display the gospel, so we can show Jesus to the entire world. It's not about your feelings, and it's not about what you can gain from another person. It's what can you give, and what can you give to the world from your, from your marriage. Uh, Marriage is not only putting your faith into practice, but it's God's gift to us to be able to know him more personally in a more tangible way. Because marriage is probably the most tangible way to know the gospel here on earth or having children. Um, But so I can just say from being married the past almost year, I feel like I've learned more about God, about how sinful I am, and how holy God is through my marriage. And um, I've learned so much about the character of Jesus, by the way, that God um, sacrifices for me and loves me and gives me grace. Um, another meaning of marriage quote. It's talking about the great secret of marriage. What is marriage all about? It says, but what is the, great, the secret of marriage? Paul immediately adds, I am talking about Christ and the church, referring to what he said earlier in verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In short, the secret is not simply the fact of marriage per se. It is the message that what husbands should do for their wives is what Jesus did to bring us into union with himself. And what was that? Jesus gave himself up for us. Jesus the Son, though equal with the Father, gave up his glory and took on our human nature. But further, he willingly went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, removing our guilt and condemnation so that we could be united with him and take on His nature. He gave up his glory and power and became a servant. He died to his own interest and looked to our needs and looked to our needs and interests instead. Jesus' sacrificial service to us has brought us into a deep union with him and He with us. And that, Paul says, is the key not only to understanding marriage, but to living it. That is why he is able to tie the original statement statement about marriage in Genesis 2 to Jesus and the church. As one commentator put it, Paul saw that when God designed the original marriage, he already had Christ and the church in mind. This is one of God's great purposes in marriage, to picture the relationship between Christ and his redeemed people forever. So, it can kind of sound like a broken record coming to church every week all the time. It's like I come here, and all I hear about is Jesus dying on the cross for my sins and how I can have a relationship with him. And that's the whole point. Every time, that's what we want to present you with because at any given moment, that's that's totally available to you right now. You don't have to wait, and you don't have to be put together or sinless to be able to come to Jesus but Jesus already loves you and died for you where you're at in your sin and even something like marriage is telling the gospel story so um, I just encourage you to, to really hone in and pay attention to that and just see that every single thing that God has made, even things that you might not have ever related to God, God created and and so something like marriage, something we all desire, maybe not all of us, but most of us desire. We have romantic feelings for someone else. We, we long to, to be in a relationship with someone for the rest of our life, or maybe not even that. Maybe you just want relationship with many people. It's like, well, God created that desire in you. And he wants to show you that it's a good desire, and this is the way that he intended it to be. Um, so... All of that can sound kind of daunting, right? It's like, well, I'm 15, and I can't get married anytime soon. Um, so what does this have to do with me right now? Well, I'm obviously not unaware of the fact that you can't. You, in our culture today, we don't just go from single to married. There's stuff in between there. Um, so we're going to talk about dating. So what does this mean for dating? And I have a quick story time for you. Another love story.
2: Another
1: love story. Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you the story of Gus and I in a, <laughs> in, a, in a in a very in a very summarized way, okay? Um so I'm telling you this I want to preface with I know that even at 12, you have these feelings. I wasn't 12 that long ago. Um, you have romantic <laughs> feelings for other people. Um, and I know that God God can bring people together very, very young. And so I don't want to just put down dating. I don't want to say, like, oh, well, you just shouldn't date. Because it's not realistic, and that's not how our culture works, and you're probably going to date. And so I want to equip you with um, maybe a godly way to look at it and um, what it could be for you, even at a young age. So when I was 15, um, I I met Gus, and Gus was 17. And from the moment that I met him, obviously I had, like, those initial thoughts of, like, oh, my gosh, he's so cute, and... (laughs) You know, like, and he's funny, but, but the more, like, I put myself around him, it was, like, instantly, it was, like, a crush that I literally had never had in my life before, because it was, like, I'm so attracted to his character, like, I'm so attracted to the way that he is exemplifying Jesus to the people around him. Like, he was literally being so intentional to have conversations with every single person that walked through the door. We were in marching band together. So, <laughs> and so, um, like, everyone in the band, though, he was talking to, he was giving high fives, asking what their name was. He was, like, smiling, talking to him, and I was like, dude, I want to be like that. And so the more I got to know him, it was more than just, like, a... A typical teenager crush. It was, it was just something deeper than that, and I had never experienced that before. I literally wrote down in my diary at 15 years old, <gasps> "I want to marry Gus," <laughs> and and I probably had had like three conversations with him. Um, so, of course, look at me right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Long story, short, we ended up dating, and uh, I was sixteen then he was 18, and <clears throat> we dated for a while, and that was his senior year, so he graduated, and then he came up here to go to western and um, so we were long distance dating, and when he moved up here, I really just felt like even at the age of sixteen, it was just just seeking the Lord. I'm just trying to encourage you guys, like this could be you too. Um, the Lord put on my heart to to break up with him because he wasn't he wasn't doing what we're about to talk about. He wasn't he wasn't loving Jesus first. He wasn't leading me to Jesus like he once had. Um He just wasn't really in the right stage to be in a committed relationship. So obviously, like I wrote down at the age of 15 in my diary, like, I want to marry Gus Dufresne. And so when I felt like the Lord was telling me that, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, you, I'm, I'm supposed to marry him. Like, there's no way I'm supposed to break up with him. And so after, like, two months, I f- just felt like the Lord was gently just, like, putting it on my heart time and time again. Like, no, you need to break up with him. And so pro- literally one of the hardest things I think I've ever done in my life was I had to break up with Gus. And we were broken up for, I don't know, a year and a half, almost two years. And I was just praying for him the whole time. And looking back, I can see that the Lord did that on purpose because we were so immature. And still immature, but the Lord had a lot of work to do in us before he wanted to bring us back together, individually, before we came together as one. So... In that time, I grew so much in my relationship with Jesus, and I was just continually praying for Gus. And at the end of that year, he um, turned back to God, and his life completely changed. And so even then, though, like, we didn't get back together. It still took, like, a year. And and so... trying to put it all together. So after like a year, we both felt like the Lord had given peace for us to pursue each other again. And so, lo and behold, that's my husband. Yeah, yeah. yeah. cool. So <clears throat> so even though you're not at the legal age to get married, You're still probably dating, thinking about dating. You have a crush, or you just walk around, and you're like, he's cute. That guy is cute. I wish I could date him. Um, You know, you're probably, like, you got those kinds of thoughts going on. I get it. Um, So all of that, I just, this is some advice that I thought, would be helpful, helpful for you guys if you do love the Lord and you're looking for a godly relationship. Um, these are some things I thought that you could ask yourself, dating questions to ask yourself before you get into a relationship with someone. One, do they love Jesus? Two, are they bringing you closer to Jesus? Three, are you with them for more than just physical attraction? Or anything you can get from them? Like, are, like, okay, they're funny, but do they love Jesus? Um, are they seeking to guard your heart, mind, body, and soul? That's huge. Most teenagers are not that way. Um, and do they have the potential to become the Ephesians 5 husband or wife? And probably most importantly, have you asked God about it? Have you been intentional in prayer to ask the Lord, If he wants you in this relationship or if he wants you to text that guy or if he wants you to Snapchat that girl, um, have you asked the Lord about it and do you feel his peace about it? And that's all the advice I could conjure up. Now on to our group questions for our small groups. There are the questions. And that's going to be it.
0: Praise God. (laughs) All right. Listen up. Okay. Hey, I want you guys to understand something for a moment. Okay. Savannah, what? How old? You were 15 when you met Gus, right? Okay. Gus, you were 17 when you met her. All right. Hey, listen up. Eyes on me. Here's what you need to know. Savannah talked to you about Christian dating. She started last week talking about, hey, you can't be talking about Christian dating without talking about what it means to be Christian. She started there, and then she took us here today, and she told us what the goal of dating is supposed to be marriage and what God thinks of marriage and how marriage is a reflection of the gospel. And then she told you, hey, this is practically what it meant for me. At 15 years old. Did you hear that? 15. Who's 15 in here? I have All right. Who's 15 or older in here? Okay. Okay. Who's, who's 13? All right. Listen, listen. Savannah, how old are you? She is 21 years old. Five years ago, she would have been in here. Okay, I want this is not this. You know, the world would say, oh, look down. She's too young. She doesn't know. But here's what you need to know. You can be 15 and love Jesus. You can be 15 and love Jesus. You can fall madly in love with Jesus and change everything about your life just by that one mere fact. And so I I'm like blown away because, you know, what I was doing when I was 15 I don't even want to tell you. Yeah. Wow. So, the times, they are changing. So, I want to I just, I just, like, those questions that Savannah just had you ask, like, hey, you want to date? Why don't you ask this, these questions? Do they love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Yes. Good. Wow. I didn't expect that. I was really hoping it would be like conviction. You'd be like, "Oh, I need to love Jesus. I miss you." I, know I love Jesus. I'm die. What? What? Uh, Savannah, thank you. Yeah. That was awesome. All right. We're gonna do this. We're gonna. You got your sheets of paper? All right. Hey, do y'all have a key to the classroom? Can you unlock that? All right. All right, here we're going to split into groups. Ben and Cassie are going to take sixth graders. Okay. Sixth graders are going to go upstairs in the conference room if it's open. So sixth graders stand up and go with Ben and Cassidy. Who are our sixth graders? You three? Great. Oh, Roman. The only boy. <laughs> All right. Seventh and eighth graders. Se- seventh grade girls are going with Kadri and E.G., Y'all are going into that uh, classroom. Seventh <laughs> and eighth grade girls, boys, boys are going with Goose and Alex. Y'all could go upstairs into one of the rooms. There's, there's a, there should be extra rooms upstairs.
2: Hey sh- hey you guys go just get out of here.
0: Seventh and eighth grade, and eighth grade. <laughs> All right high school girls are going with Claire and Savannah and y'all are staying here. Oh, <laughs> high school boys yeah y'all didn't have to go far. High school boys we're going you're going with me and Seth and we're gonna go uh, let's check upstairs see if there's a classroom. We're done, so take 10 minutes.